2: With me, Richard Innes.
1: And me, Steve Myers. When you become a parent, it's all about decisions. But you have information thrown at you from all different directions. And it's all about how to make the right decision.
2: Fortunately, uh, Emily Oster, who is a professor of economics at Brown University, has written a book called Crib Sheep. She's a data-driven guide to better, more relaxed parenting. Uh, Basically, she's gone through various studies and all sorts of numbers to find out what's good advice, what is the bad advice, and which ones to listen to.
1: We caught up with Emily down the line from her home near Boston uh, for this week's podcast. Enjoy. (music) Emily, thanks very much for joining Rich and I.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So you are currently in Boston, is that right?
0: I'm in Providence, so it's it's close to Boston, but we're about an hour an hour outside in Rhode Island, uh, smallest state.
2: I'm I'm maybe I'm going to come across as such a luddite here, but the fact that it sounds like you're sitting here next to us in the studio still blows my mind. I must admit, given you're on the other no, side of the Atlantic,
0: it's pretty amazing. I agree.
1: Am I right in thinking Providence is like an an island that you access by boat from Boston? No,
0: no. it's oh. just it's just on the highway. Just if okay. you're driving from Boston to New York, you drive past.
1: Providence
2: okay. you had me sold there Steve when you said yeah, that, that no, sounded, you sounded so convincing
1: I've been to Boston and I was pretty sure that I went on a boat to somewhere called Providence uh,
0: that's Provincetown Town. it's Town end of the Cape actually you can also drive out there but that is you can take a boat there but uh, that is not
1: Providence I, I'm not entirely lost my mind through lack of sleep as a parent then I do yeah, there is. I was sort of a bit on the right track you
0: were a bit right you had a rough <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like the fact that people come to this podcast for parenting advice, and we're now giving them travel stories as well, inadvertently. <laughs> yes. This is marvelous.
0: Different places you can go on the Eastern Seaboard than America. <laughs> indeed,
2: indeed, indeed. So uh, you're a mum as
1: well as being an uh, uh, an academic and an author, right?
0: Yes, that's right. I have two kids. Uh, my daughter is eight, and my son is four.
1: It's a it's a it's a game changer, isn't it? Being a parent.
0: It is a game changer. It really. Uh, I. It's always sort of hard to describe people to people like quite how how much it changes you you sort of i don't know for me it's like i i knew that i was gonna have to be doing things with them and and there was going to be time with the kids i think the thing i didn't recognize before i had kids was that i would spend so much of my time thinking about them even when i was trying yeah. to do something else like my job
1: indeed <laughs> um and and your book if you could just explain the background to to, to how you came to write it crib sheet um that would be really useful.
0: Yeah, so um so I I wrote um uh, when I was pregnant with my daughter I and then when she was little I wrote um a, an earlier book called Expecting Better which is about pregnancy and was really about like using data um to make decisions in pregnancy um and then I uh I eventually decided to follow that up with this with this book which is called a crib sheet which is really about kind of what does the data say around a lot of the parenting decisions that we struggle with and so things like what is really the evidence on breastfeeding or on vaccinations or you know where should your baby sleep um, or with older kids discipline or potty training and kind of trying to to dig in to to the evidence and separate out the better data from the worst data and give parents something to on which to base their decisions and maybe a little bit of a framework for kind of how to incorporate that data into making decisions that work for them
2: that's that's incredible because the thing that struck me when I first encountered the book was why has nobody done this before because I think you you talk in great detail in the introduction to the book about the the kind of insanity of parenting advice and this is something Steve and I have talked about on the podcast so many times in so many you know on so many different subjects the fact that the, the parenting advice is just hysterical it's everywhere and you are kind of you're encountering it on facebook you're encountering it in the media you're encountering it everywhere and there's so much contradictory advice etc cetera, etc cetera. so it seems so obvious that somebody who has, you know, the qualifications like you do, knows how to work with data, would just go in and find some numbers. Because that's all I've been looking for a lot of the time. I just want to know a scientific fact rather than someone's opinion.
1: Yeah. Give us an example, Emily, of, of one of the things that you looked at. So, so let's take, for instance, I'm, in, I'm right in the middle of baby sleep hell. Um, right. And you mentioned there just a moment ago about where your baby should sleep. How did you look at that as a, as a subject within the framework of the data?
0: Yeah, so so the big question here is, you know, what is the, like, should your baby sleep in your bed, and is that dangerous? So so in the U.S. in particular, there is a tremendous amount of emphasis on not having your baby sleep in your bed, and there's a lot of um, kind of discussion of how it's, like, super dangerous to have the baby sleep in your bed, and that that's, like, you know, you absolutely should not do that under any circumstances. But, of course, on the flip side, a lot of babies actually sleep much better with their parents, and also there are people who will tell you, like, oh, that's the only way to stay attached to your to your baby like I can't believe you're not sleeping with them don't you love them you know and so you really do that's a place where you really get both sides of this and both sides feel really strongly and so what I what I do in the book is I just say okay let me look actually look at what the evidence says and look through all of the academic papers and try to, to look at not only you know is it risky but but how risky so really trying to help people understand the size of these risks not just are they there and so what you, what you find when you do that is, is that, you know, um, one very important thing to say is that if you're going to sleep in the bed with your baby, it really matters how you do it. So you shouldn't, you know, drink or smoke, uh, smoke cigarettes or um, have a lot of covers in the bed. All of those things are, are really make sleeping with your baby much more dangerous. If you do it in like the safest way possible, there is still some small risk. But it, the size of the risk, is it's pretty small. It's like, you know, comparable to the risk of a car accident. And so on the one hand, it kind of says, you know, y- yes, it's right to say that there are some risks associated with this behavior, but it's, it's not right to say that that risk is the most risky thing you could ever possibly do. You are probably taking risks of that magnitude every day. Uh, and so you know I think that what that means is, is as a parent you you kind of have to think about what are the benefits for you and for some families like sleeping with your kids in your bed is like a, a thing that they really want to do and I can see um, given the given what the data actually says I can see that being a reasonable choice.
2: See I think that's really really interesting what you said about risk there because I, I take it I appreciate we're talking specifically about the baby in the bed situation but I imagine that can be applied to pretty much all the other subjects you 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 cover, because the thing that strikes me with a lot of parenting advice, there's going to be risk attached to anything, right? I mean, there's a risk yep. attached to crossing the road with your child, but you're you're still going to learn to you're still going to be crossing the road with your child, and that, that's where I find that's where I found it very very difficult when looking up advice on certain issues that. There, there's this idea that, yes, that's not good. Well, why is it not good? How how, how much of a risk is there? And I think that's the problem is, is often we get that idea it is risky. But as you said, you need to quantify the size of that risk, right? And do, do do you find that has been the case with many of the different subjects you've looked at?
0: Yeah, I think that comes up in in a huge number of these things, sort of how big are the risks, how big are the benefits. Mm. I think there can be this kind of on this on the benefit side as well. There's this general sense of like if anything is – even a tiny bit good for the baby, or even a tiny bit risky, you should either always do it if it's beneficial or never do it if yeah. it's risky. And without recognizing, like, first of all, you have to do some things. Um, and also, you know, you, like, kind of, it, the, the, these things may be, the benefits may be so tiny, or the risk may be so tiny that you, you got to put it in the context of the other stuff that's, um, mm-hmm. that's going on. That's why I like, sometimes I, I like to use this sort of car, the the car driving car accident example as like a sort of way to benchmark risk because i think that's a risk that most people are taking all the time and never thinking about it mm, yeah. and then you know they're thinking like oh i would never like use a bumper on my crib that's like these things i don't know what you call them like where you wrap around the the sides of the crib yeah, so same the baby thing. can't bumper. okay bumper so like in the us people are like bumpers are the most dangerous thing you could ever conceivably have it's like well that maybe there's a little bit of risk but it's tiny relative to these other things and and you need to kind of think about these risks in in some context
1: is there an element of i mean we we're human beings right and we are able to cherry pick the bits of life and justify them to ourselves that make our life the way we want it to be so for instance rich and i both know that we could probably do using losing a few pounds um, but we're, st- we're still going we're, we're to buy ourselves a chocolate bar <laughs> and we'll offset that with going, well, you know, I walked up the stairs a couple of times today. Yeah. That's offset that. And is it the, a bit the same with parenting where we think to ourselves, well, I, you know, I know it's, there's probably a risk for the baby to sleep in the bed with me, but I really want to sleep. And I'm prepared to take that risk in order to get some sleep.
0: So I actually think if people said that, I think that would be fine. I mean, I think that's like the rational way to make the choice. I think what I, what I don't – what I think people actually do, which is not so good, is to say, well, I've decided I'm going to sleep in the bed with the baby, and then I'm going to convince myself that there's actually no risk to it, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm going to go and tell other people. Like, you know, you're like there's no risk to this. like you're you're making it you know, you should absolutely make this choice because this is the best choice. It's the choice I'm making. So I think we are we are like if we're sort of backwards engineering into saying this is the choice that I'm making, and therefore it must be the right choice. And then telling other people my choice is yeah. so right that it has to be the choice you make. Which I think is not so helpful.
2: That seems symptomatic of society as a whole, doesn't it? Just to broaden, just to get a bit broader than parenting, it's, it's that sort yeah. of rush to the extreme. Like this is my this is my ideological stance, and I'm sticking to it, and it is 100% right, and you are 100% wrong. And there's, that we seem yeah. to have lost that kind of gray blurriness in the middle. And I think I'd never really thought about it in the context of parenting, but actually I can see what you've said there. That does really apply to to parenting advice generally, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, no, I think it does. I think we really there's really a, a sense in this and many other spaces in your life where like once you've made a choice, you just kinda kinda like wanna go all in on it. Mm. Um, yeah, we and the... not recognize that other people are gonna make, you know, different choices. We had
1: the I've had this thing at home recently, in fact in the last last few days with with my son. So my wife and I, we don't really watch much TV at home. And uh the kids are lucky enough to live in a house where there's a playroom that is separate from the lounge and doesn't have a TV in it. So they don't watch TV. And it was never a conscious decision for them to not to watch TV. We just don't really watch much TV as a family. And so, therefore, my son's now got to just over three, and he hasn't really watched any TV. I mean, he's watched it at other people's houses when we've been to, like, a barbecue, and there's been some TV on. But that's happened only once or twice. And I think maybe at his nursery, they've maybe put on a film once, and he's watched that. And he certainly watched some football or soccer, as we call it here, it, it, you know, like <laughs> ten minutes or so with me. And there was some cricket on last night, and he watched five minutes of that. But I got invited this week, this weekend, to go to a screening of the new Lion King film and take my son. Nice. Now he would love that; it would blow his mind. But I spoke to my wife, and she's like, "Yeah, but we haven't. He doesn't really watch films, so why? Are we, what? What? Are we? Why are we taking him to that? But apart from the." Potential, the, the chance of the opportunities there. And we've actually gone, well, yeah, okay, well, let's just not take him and let's keep it in reserve. And he will get as much pleasure from it further down the line as he's going to get from it now. Um, but I don't really quite understand in my head why we're not doing it apart from we've not done it up to this point.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's worth, um, it, you know, it's, I think it's worth saying, like, what do you think is the, what do you think would be, it sounds like you think the benefit of this would be that, you know, he would enjoy it. But I think the question is, what's the cost? Is the cost that then he... He wants to watch it every day, five times a day. He would want to watch it every day, right. And then I, I (laughs) I mean, I think that is a real cost because then at least with a second question, was like, what are your rules going to be? Are you just going to say, you know, this is a one-time thing, we never watch TV again? Is it going to be like, are you going to start having a little bit of of TV? Um, And I mean, I don't know. I think people... Um, people come down a, like a little differently on on TV in in particular. Uh, my kids do watch some TV although not very much. other people here, like many people 's kids watch a ton of TV yeah, um, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. i should cu- I should cut in at this point and say my son watches way too much TV and i I, I, I take a, I suppose a different view to Steve he watches too much I, I wish he 'd watch a bit less um, but we 've got ourselves we kind of did that thing where we we kind of got ourselves into a routine without really realizing we were doing it and now we 're kind of stuck to it. So we kind of went too far down that path. We thought, yeah, watch a bit of TV, fine. Um, And I sometimes waver back. I'd be really interested interested to know what your research has found on this, uh, Emily, because I I waver back and forth where on some days I think, my God, why why am I watching Toy Story again? Uh, And why is he watching Toy Story again? And is this bad? But then there's other times when he's sitting on my lap and we're watching something together and we're talking about it and I'm thinking, well, 10 minutes ago he was having a tantrum. We're now sitting here talking nicely to one another and that's because of the TV. And I know there's that idea that your TV should not be your parent, um, which I entirely, you know, a- agree with. But there are times when I think, well, actually, the, the the benefit, to your point about benefit and cost, well, maybe the benefit here is that where I would have been stressed and he would have been stressed and we would have been shouting at each other, um, toddler and father shouting at one another, which seems to happen quite a lot. Um, <laughs> now we're both calm and okay, as long as I can kind of extricate him from it without him having to watch an hour of the bloody thing. Then, then we move forward. So, I, 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 day by day, I go back and forth with myself. You're and still I, I gatekeeper, are
1: sure. You're still the gatekeeper to what he watches. Yeah, It's yeah, not absolutely. like he's got a screen yeah. with access to the internet. No, no, God, no. And I never leave him on
2: his own. I never leave yeah. him on his own, you know, because I'm, I'm really aware of that, the idea of the TV being the parent, you know. I, I don't believe in the idea that you plonk him down on the sofa and walk off and do something else. It's always we're always watching it together and kind of engaging with whatever it is. But what, what, what did your, did you do much research in this area? I mean?
0: Yeah, so I, I looked a little, I both both sort of TV uh, and then at screens more generally. And I think that the evidence on TV is, is better than the evidence on sort of screens, like apps and stuff, but but still, it's still not great. I mean, I think the basic problem is when you compare, you know, kids who, who watch t- a lot of TV to kids who, who don't. And here we're talking about a lot, like, you know, three hours a day or something. Um, you know that the, those kids are different in other ways, so it's hard to, it's hard to learn from those comparisons. Um, but I think the the better evidence on this, which uses like for example, evidence from the introduction of television, so like the time when they first we first started allowing for TV start, first started to exist, um, I think that evidence is reassuring in the sense that it suggests that probably uh, TV doesn't really seem to have like negative impacts on things like test scores um, for, for kids. Uh, although again, that evidence is kind of old, and so it would be good to know more. Mm. Uh, but you know, I, I don't. Th- there isn't anything in the data which really would suggest that either of the two choices that you make is better that you two guys are making are like better or worse. And in particular, this thing of watching TV with your with your kid gets a lot of emphasis. And the idea that, like, if your kid's going to watch TV, like, and this is, like, an, you know, this is, like, an opportunity to engage with them, um, that's, like, a very different experience than than sitting them in front of the TV. I will say, like, for my kids, like, on the weekends, they get, like, you know, 45 minutes of TV, and I just leave them in front of it. I mean, I curate what they watch in the sense that they're not watching things on the internet. They're, like, have... A set of things they can watch on their Kindles, um, but I don't engage with them uh, on it most of the time. And I think part of that is like actually like that's like 45 minutes where like I'm cooking dinner and and uh, and I you know like to relax and not parent for that 45 minutes. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's your um, break
1: as well. Yeah. But there's a
0: benefit. Right. To, I, there's yeah, a benefit to that as well, something. right? Yeah, I think there is. I think we we this is an example of something where we sort of fail to acknowledge like actually like I am a much better parent in the time before that and the time after that because there's like this break in the day when I can like cook dinner and like you know look at my email and like read a book or do whatever and that that's actually like then I am much more engaged at at dinner sitting with the kids than I would be you know than I would be if I were tired or if it you know in every moment I had to be kind of entertaining them and I think that that's um I think that that's that's also important and something we don't talk about.
2: Too much. Mm, absolutely. Um, one one area that is particularly uh, uh, we're jumping around subjects here because I, uh, we could talk to you for three hours here quite easily about <laughs> a number of different things. But one thing that I'm in the middle of right now is uh, is classic tantrums, absolutely enormous nuclear tantrums from a two year old. Um, And, of course, again, another thing that, you know, going back to the idea of the the broad spectrum of parental advice that you can get from good places, bad places, internet, um, leaflets, whatever it might be, books. Podcasts. Podcasts. Um, That's the best source. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, But, but, you know, the the kind of spectrum of advice is enormous and, and what you should do, how to deal with a tantrum. Do you try and engage and try and calm them down? Do you ignore it and, and not not kind of uh, you know kind of give um, give weight to that negative behaviour? Um, do you punish them? Do you not punish them? Do you cuddle them? Do you put them on the naughty step? All the you know many many different things, and I am completely at a loss. I'm not going to pretend I have a clue because Emily, what should Rich do? <laughs> there's
1: a book. There's a
0: book called One Two Three Magic by a guy named Thomas Phelan. Just buy it and do the things that he says in the book.
1: One, two, three, magic. Sounds like we should get him on the podcast.
0: <laughs> you should. I mean, I think, you know, that's a little bit That's a little bit of an extreme answer. Everybody's family is different, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what does he say? What's I, his, what's his, what's I his... will say, yeah, so this is like, so there's a suite of these. It's not the only one, but there's a suite of these kind of interventions, sort of positive parenting kind of interventions, which basically emphasize the idea of like a warnings and a timeout system. Um, so you know, one like this warning, this is second warning. Uh, that's a that's a timeout. I think his system is just you just count like one, two, three, and then there's a there's a timeout if you get to three, mm-hmm. uh, and the timeout is the number of minutes of the kid's age, and okay. that's and then that's that and then you have a timeout. You put them in their room for the timeout, and then after I think there's sort of like the other thing is, these programs emphasize a lot not discussing it. So, like, there's a – you're having a, a tantrum or you're hitting your little sibling or you're grabbing something from them or you're doing something that's inappropriate. You just count one, two, time out if they don't stop doing it. And then – but then you don't afterwards say, like, how did you feel about that? Like, what – you know, oh, why would you do that? Because the thing is, like, they're two, they're three. Like, they, they don't have access to that. And Not if you yet. give them that language, then they're just going to make something, you know. Particularly if you have, like, a very verbal like, my kids would just make up things about, like, you know, how they how they are feeling in that moment. It's easy to be kind of sucked into that. But the thing is, like, you can't take a toy. So it actually doesn't really matter how you feel about it. You just can't take the toy from there. That feels really
2: counterintuitive. I, I completely get the logic, but my the, the, my – I think wanting to be a good parent is I want to engage with them on it and I want to talk to them and say, Now, why did you do that? and all those types of things. But actually, when you put it like that, that does make some sense that Uh, you just move on from it. Yeah.
1: And I think it's really interesting what you say. And I think we sometimes forget this with kids that they are just three years into their life and they haven't got those tools to understand or make sense of their behavior. So when you're trying to like put your kind Mm. of 40s years worth of, uh, you know, learned life experience and, 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 you know, I still lose my rag, as I'm sure Rich does. Oh, wow, so I lose my rag I can't expect them to be perfect human beings. No, um, and I think this also,
0: this, these things also emphasize that, like, because like sort of recognizing this, then you need to recognize in yourself, like, you can't get angry. You know, so your kid, like, the example I give in a book is, like, in the book is, like, you know, at some point I'm in, like, in some museum, and my, my kid, who was, like, two two and two and a half, three at the time, just, like, decided he wanted to take his shirt off. And, like, he just, like, had to take his shirt off. And, you know, it was, like, kind of a fancy music. It was, like, you can't take your shirt off, you know? And so, you're like, if your spouse did that and they were just, like, I'm going to take my shirt off, you'd be, like, what? Like, what is the matter with you? Like, why are you such an idiot? You know? But when your little kid wants to do that, like, you can't get mad. Like, they don't know, you know? You just have to say, like, you can't do that. That behavior is not okay. Having a tantrum about that is not okay. But, like, I can't be mad. Because, like, you don't know that you're not supposed to take your shirt off. And so really sort of trying to, like, rein it in and have the, like, warning and the timeout just be, like, very, like, that's a warning. That's a second warning. That's a timeout. Without yeah. being, like, I can't believe you're, do-, you know, without getting yeah. mad. Because that's the course, bit I very, really struggle very, with. Very, very, hard, right? That's the bit I, mean, I, I really, really
2: struggle with. Oh, me the, too. The stepping back. Yeah. And it, it's you saying that, again, rings, rings a lot of bells with me. The idea that, because I do treat him as if he's 14 rather than 2. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's
0: so easy because yeah. you feel, cause probably when they're 14, they will be doing
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and then and then I will be, you know, legitimately getting angry with him. But I do, I get exactly. really angry yeah. with him. I get really, really yeah. angry with him. And then I feel terrible about it afterwards. But it just, yeah. I, I haven't learned those mechanisms you're yet. Not alone, to deal Rich. With it. You're
0: not alone. You're not alone. No, you're not alone. I mean, I really, this book is really good. I actually, I really think that it, it was super helpful for us. And I've now, like, I've talked about it a bunch in the context of the of, of crib sheet. And, like, you know, yesterday I was at the pool with, like, the parent of, and I ran into the parent of some kid in, in my son's class, and he was like, you know, we bought that book because of your, because you know, you talked about it, and like, it's it's amazing, like, it really is magic. <laughs> you know, he was like, we've been doing it for
1: like two get days, this and like, guy. we have are going to get, oh, this yeah, <laughs> get this guy on. We've got to get this yeah. guy on. He seems like he'd be
0: totally great.
2: Okay, <laughs> excellent. No, I will, and I will look that up. Yeah, definitely. That's um, really, really helpful.
1: Emily, when you were researching the book and looking at the data, was there anything that you came across which surprised you based on your preconceptions of being a uh, from being a mother already
0: so I mean I think there are pieces in the book that um, that people that I you know sort of I found surprising not maybe not always so much the direction but like this the magnitude of, of them or sort of how far things were from from my sense so like breastfeeding is an example so Um, I think I had a sense going into this that some of the benefits that people claim about breastfeeding may have been overstated. You know, you'll read these like women's magazines articles that are like, you know, breastfeeding is going to make your friendships better and, you know, (laughs) your hair is shiny and like what, you know, like they're like, that can't be right. You know, my hair is really falling out. It can't be that it's going to get shiny. Um, And so, so I think that. Um, I had some sense that, that that would be true, and I think, but when I looked into the data, I think that was sort of more true than I expected. So you know, there are some benefits to breastfeeding, particularly early in life, about better digestion and for the baby and maybe some, like, long-term cancer reduction for the for the mom. So there are some benefits, but but a lot of the things that are kind of thrown at women as, an, as a kind of, like, breastfeeding is the most important thing are things like your kid will be smarter later or they'll be you know they'll be thinner they'll have fewer diseases and i think those things are basically not supported in the best uh data and and i think that i i found the disconnect between really what can we say based on the evidence and what is the is the rhetoric pretty
1: stark mm mm-hmm. interesting did you did you adjust your own parenting style in any ways based on what you learned
0: Not, um Small, so small way. So one thing is actually this one, two, three magic discipline stuff uh, is something that I had not been doing until we until I did the research for the book. So that was like the the sort of most direct thing. I think most of the other things I kind of did the research in the service of my parenting and then wrote wrote the book. So there are places where this influenced how we were, um how we were doing stuff, um, for sure. Uh, and, the, you know, there are places where the data is sort of like tells you something very clear, um, like peanut allergies. So, um, this is like sort of very in the weeds. But, uh, but when my daughter was born, they they told us not to give her any peanuts or any peanut butter or any peanut products until she was like a year or two um, because it would make her allergic. Uh, and who's, that turned out to be. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> the the sorry the uh the like doctors like the the official recommendations okay uh around from like sort of medical, medical the yeah, community I've,
2: I've read that somewhere so
0: turns out that's the opposite of the truth um so it turns out that like and now all of these recommendations have changed um. And they actually had changed by the time my son was born. But it is now the recommendation is that you give your kids peanuts like as soon as they are able to have um, solid food that you give them peanut butter or some kind of peanut expose them to peanuts because that actually makes them much less likely to be allergic that's in the, the end.
1: That's the approach I've taken uh-huh. to all food with my kids. Yes, I've given them the, good. The, the widest range of food from the earliest possible age. So they're they oh, both love shellfish. They both that's love true. peanuts you know all vegetables they would opt they i have to cook twice as much broccoli now when i cook for them because that's all they'll eat they'll just <laughs> eat a plate of like Soft cooked broccoli, which is I think is incredible, you know, for a one and a three-year-old.
2: Yeah, my my son eats no. A lot I of salad. think
1: that's pretty
2: amazing. My son eats a lot of that. Yeah. I, I, I find myself in these bizarre situations where I'm kind of getting really into it with my son because you can't. And I'm saying to him, you can't just eat cucumber and tomatoes. You have to eat some of the sausage. And I think, hang but on, why that, not? That's definitely back to <laughs> <Why> front, <not? laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely back to front. I'm sure that most parents find this the other way around. Like, yeah. don't just eat the sausage. You have to eat the cucumber
1: yeah,
2: yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, I, I no, but it's. With my it's son. true
1: that like it
0: it matters how much you exploit like if you show them this stuff yeah that and you you're just like oh this is the food that you eat mm-hmm. like actually those things are delicious
1: yeah exactly i said to my son the other day what's your favorite breakfast is it and i just went through I like, is it porridge is it uh honey loops is it uh peanut butter and toast is it pancakes is it honey and yogurt or is it um sausages and bacon and he just looks at me and goes, sausage and bacon. <laughs> and he's probably had sausage <laughs> and bacon once. <laughs> and, it, and it was the occasion when he and I went away for the night together, just a pair of us, and I cooked him and I sausages, bacon,s and eggs for breakfast the next morning. And it's to do with that memory of his. It's nothing mm-hmm. to do with how much he likes the f- taste, I'm certain. Mm, it's because he re- associates it with that experience. Because he never asks for, a, when I say we're doing for breakfast, he never says, oh, I want sausages and bacon. In fact, when yeah. my wife asked him, he said, I want ham and sausages because he, <laughs> he knows he likes ham. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they, you know they're, they're very interesting characters, young children, I find. It's
2: interesting how yes, much the, your thing about the experience thing, but regardless of what you're asking them, it's the experience that they remember. Because just this morning, I was asking my son, I was taking him to nursery, and uh, I was saying, so who are you going to play with at nursery today? Because I was trying to talk to him about his friends yeah, at nursery yeah. and everything. And whenever I ask a question, anything around that, about his friends at nursery, there's a little pause, and he says, Gabriel, push me. <laughs> Gabriel's like another one of the boys at the nursery who he gets on with really yeah. well. But any time I ask him anything about his friends at nursery, he tells me that this boy pushed. And it happened once, It happened ages ago, yeah. and that's yeah. it. But that's that's yeah. his immediate rem- yeah. Yeah, 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 <laughs> memory. It's bizarre, isn't
1: yeah. it? We got we got that book. You, I'm sure you guys have it. The tiger that came to tea. Judith Kerr children's book, quite quite kind of popular. Yeah, sold millions of copies. When um, Jackson, my son, was very young, um, his grandmother was looking after him, and. Uh, uh, she made uh, in fact it wasn't that book it's, it's one of the mog books that um, Judith Kerr r- was writing as well um, and when my, her grand- his grandmother was looking after him she was making him his dinner and she took some frozen peas out of the freezer and the bag split and frozen peas went everywhere and there's a book, book in one of the Judith Kerr books where the mum's making some dinner and a cat surprises her and peas go all over the floor and every time Jackson looks at that book he's like grandma did that <laughs> <laughs> grandma did that
2: But <laughs> <Wish laughs> she loves that
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Poor grandma. It's yeah, like, exactly. It exactly.
2: That's it. That's exactly. That's um, Emily, I know we're, we're sort of coming towards the end of our time here. Um, I guess maybe this is a very obvious final question, but from your, you know, from all the research you've done, you've written this very extensive study in this book. Um, is there one bit of advice, one thing, one kind of lesson you would like to, put, you know, give to, to parents Apart who are listening or reading? Apart from one, two, three magic. Apart from one, two, three magic, which we, we is definitely on. I'm on Amazon already ordering it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, is is there sort of one thing from all the research, all the work you did that you think is kind of the most single valuable bit of advice you could give?
1: Either mums and dads do this, or mums and dads don't do this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: I don't think so. Um, I think that, like, the, in some ways, the point of the book much more so than, like, here's something to do, here's something not to do, is that, like, you ha- like these choices are going to be very parent-family specific, and that making the right choice for your family is is going to involve looking at the data and then thinking about what works for your family. So people sometimes say, like, what's the one thing I can do? And it's it's sort of like, I don't know, like, you know, give them peanuts when they're four months. But, like, on these other things, there isn't one thing. Like, you know, you, like, making these choices in a way that makes you a confident and happy parent, maybe that's the one thing. But that's not, like, one choice. It's not that Mm -hmm. one choice is, is like, the the right choice.
2: Maybe it's that's sex. yeah maybe that's the sense point. Sense there is the... no magic answer, right? Maybe that's the point. Yeah,
0: and it's yeah. and you know then you ha- and you gotta like figure out what what works because if you're sort of super stressed out and and unhappy like that's not going to be good for your uh for your family.
1: But our kids are going to be all right, aren't they? Just just simply because we great. are we great. are. Worried and concerned <laughs> exactly. no, about things. I almost things. always
0: tell people this. People are like, you know, people ask me these these questions, like, what's the right preschool philosophy? What's I'm like, once you're worried about that, like, it's fine. You know, any preschool philosophy is fine. <laughs> like, you know, you're already you're like over the over the hill because you're actually you're thinking about what's the right preschool philosophy. Like, your kid's gonna be okay. Yeah.
1: They're gonna be. Well, great. there you go. That sounds like a, a nice way a nice, to, nice to bring to it done, to yeah. a close. Emily, we've we've really enjoyed talking to you, and um, and uh, certainly thanks for that book tip. Um, yeah, joy. Do you know what your next book's going to be?
0: Uh, I I don't. Um, I might do something about older kids, but I'm trying to figure out quite the right way in.
1: Okay, well maybe we'll we'll, we'll catch up with you in a, in, a, in a while's time when our kids are in the next stage of uh, development.
2: Exactly. <laughs> and in the meantime, exactly. everybody should go out and buy slash read slash both uh, crib sheet by Emily Oster. It, it's a it's a great read, very very handy, very very helpful indeed. Cheers, Emily.
0: Thank you. Thanks, cheers.
2: Thanks, Emily. Bye.